Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. Everybody, Jazz's online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to the first episode of Jazz's Travel of 2022. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions, and more through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative, and visionary artists. Our first guest of 2022 is vocalist, composer, musician, Christian Karam. Christian was born in war-torn Beirut, Lebanon, and her unique vocal and compositional style stems from her love for different musical traditions. Among her various projects, she is the leader and founder of the Zilzala Ensemble, which blends classical, traditional, and folk music from different regions of the Middle East and the Balkans with contemporary jazz. She is also the leader of the acclaimed Pletenitsa Balkan Choir, and her new album, Nar, draws from a deep well of lived and musical experiences and is her first full-length release in nine years. It's a multilingual tapestry meant to inspire and uplift in arduous times, and it features her accomplished quintet. The album will be released on January 28th, and for the first time in 2022, fire up an audiotini and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our conversation with Christian Karam. And the road says to me, come and follow me, for I am your future. And I say to both my house and the road, I have no past, nor have I a future. Hello, Christian. Welcome to Jazz's Travel. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. This is so wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's a real pleasure to speak with you. I'm very excited to talk about uh, your music and about your major upcoming album, Nar, uh, which I listened to and uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, What part of the world are you speaking from? I'm currently in Boston. This is what I've been, where I've been based uh, for many years between Boston and New York. I originally come from Beirut, Lebanon. That's where I grew up. 
I usually like to begin uh, with a little bit of an icebreaker question. Sure. Uh, do you remember when it was that music entered your life in a significant way? Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually remember being in kindergarten and singing and dancing, and I was fascinated with rhythm. I couldn't stop singing. I memorized songs even then. And I, it, I felt the joy of it then. And then at, um, you know, you, you may or you may not know that, the, you know, Lebanon was, um, we, we, we had a raging civil war for f- over 15 years and it started when I was three years old. Um, so I don't have many memories that are separate from the war. And when I was, eight, um, my mom signed me up for piano lessons and even everything was shut down, but there was a tiny music school operating that was not too far from where we were. And it was uh, relatively safe to get to uh, here and there, you know, uh, intermittently. And she said, you never know when you're going to need them. She, she was a pianist herself and she could tell how much I love music. And from that point on, uh, music became, you know, my, my lifeline. It became kind of my escape like a little island of beauty and and um safety in the middle of a lot of violence and um you know a very difficult uh, reality to comprehend for a child uh, what are the is there any specific sounds colors and textures that come to your mind when you think about your earliest memories Yes, earliest memories of music. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I can, I, I can tell you like Frédéric Chopin and David Bowie, you know, were my two earliest influences wow. as a child. Yes. And I was, because I was a pianist and Chopin had also known war and his music had a lot of that same kind of emotional tapestry that I was dealing with. Um, and it was very comforting to me. Um, and David Bowie is, you know, as we know, actually, yesterday was the anniversary of his passing. And uh, he's also a, f- a, f- a figure that me- meant a lot to me in terms of the courage he had in, in being himself at a time where, you know, it was still, you know, a lot of what he went for was very controversial. He was very bold, very brilliant, mm-hmm. and also comforted me. I've heard you or read statements where you kind of associated the human voice to concepts of of healing. And you talked Absolutely. about music being an escape. But what is it about the sound of the human voice and maybe even in the way in which you use it now in your music, where it kind of picks up these uh, uh, significance that goes beyond the purely aesthetic? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the voice was my my road back to myself, so to speak, because I think when we, especially, you know, if you speak with uh, people who have undergone, you know, severe trauma or extreme circumstances or violence, uh, the voice is the first thing. On the one hand, it's the first thing that goes, that goes, uh, you know, our voice, our ability to speak up into the world. If you speak to people who have been bullied, for example, they they lose their ability to stand for themselves, right? So that's the first thing that goes. And at the same time, on a very visceral level, the voice is is my earliest memories of the voice are memories of, you know, mothers who had lost their children and, you know, very, very, you know, it's uh, where the grief expresses itself first, right? So it's a very interesting pathway to reclaim yourself, you know, when one has been through difficult experiences. And I had to do that for myself to heal my body, to heal, to heal from so much violence and channeling all that energy that had potentially was destructive into beauty and into something that could touch others uh, was my pathway, both artistically and on a healing level. And bringing these things together has both informed my 
my practice as a as a mentor, as a teacher, as a healing practitioner, but also as a musician. I find that when we are able to embody that in our music and really be fully aware of the power of our voice, the music resonates differently. So this concept of awareness uh, also brings to mind identity of actually discovering ourselves, maybe even the world around us. Absolutely, absolutely. And knowing what to attach to in terms of identity, in terms, you know, my choice coming from so much conflict, um, I choose to focus on our shared humanity. And I think that there's nothing more intimate and more compelling than the human voice to remind us that we all operate the same way, you know, in, in terms of the humans and what we experience, our shared experience of grief, of joy, of music. This is why I've been, I've been so passionate about traveling the world and going to villages and listening to the music of the people, you know, the music, the music as community, the music that brings communities alive, the songs of, you know, the songs of joy, the songs of grief, you know, everything that has to do with ritual. So, um, and you see that in so many different cultures, there's, there's so many commonalities. And I think we're so conditioned to focus on what separates us and what makes us different and what makes us threatening to one another that we forget that there's so much that unifies us. That's beautiful. And that has been very much my artistic quest as well is to find common ground between different musical languages. Interesting. And it, it definitely will be a point that I'm going to want to return to later, because oh, when I sure. listen to your music, we're talking about music that does integrate or blend together music and sounds of different traditions. So definitely want to get back to that. But while we're still talking about kind of Lebanon and and your mm-hmm. early years, we talked about uh, when you were born, essentially in your early years, uh, you were surrounded by the violence of the civil war. But even recent, more recently in 2020, of course, there was this huge explosion that occurred. Yes. Well, you know, a large amount of ammonium nitrate stored in yes. its port exploded, caused several deaths, injuries, destruction, and left hundreds of thousands of people homeless. Yes. Uh, do you remember where you were when you heard uh, that news and what your reaction was? Absolutely. I was actually, I was folding laundry in my bedroom and I got a text message from my sister-in-law saying something happened, text your mom. And I looked at my cell phone and it was blowing up. And I looked, I looked at, I looked up on Google and I saw what happened. And I actually, as a matter of fact, I couldn't reach my family because all the lines were shut down because everybody was trying to connect and there was no power and so on and so forth. So it was a very, very grueling hour of trying to figure out, um, you know, what happened. And as it turns out, uh, also, you know, very sadly, our home was at the epicenter of the blast. So it was our neighborhood. Um, our home was destroyed. We, I mean, we sustained severe damage. It's absolutely miraculous that my parents were not injured. We lost a lot of, you know, close family, friends and, you know, neighbors. And so it was, it was petrifying. It was really, um, there, it, it was really unspeakable in terms of the, the scope of it, um, the paralysis that ensued, you know, the panic of trying to get us, our family out of there and trying to figure out there was no, no street access, no, I mean, it was, the proportions of it were absolutely just unfathomable, right? Um, so, you know, you would think we're used to it because of the war, and yet it, there was something about it that was even more devastating than the 15 years of war we had experienced, um, because it was so absurd, um, that something like that could happen and, and, and that no one would be brought to justice and that, you know, the world would just go on. 
um, and we're still reeling, you know, on top of it, you know, on top of that, there's, there was the economic collapse, a huge hyperinflation of historic proportions and COVID, you know, it's, it's almost like you can't, you know, it's a very badly written movie, you know, it's very, very extreme. Um, and we're all still reeling from that. But I do remember that, um, we, we were supposed to go in a few weeks later to record my, my album in New York City. And it was already very stressful with the lockdown, with the COVID restrictions and not knowing if the musicians were going to be able to travel and all of that. And, and I was supposed to have those weeks to finish writing the music and, you know, organize everything because I was producing the record and, um, I remember I was stunned. I was I was stunned. I couldn't even cry. I was very, uh, you know, I was in a state of shock. And I remember uh, about a week later, the first thing that came to me, I remember I was sitting at my piano, just staring with a blank stare and just not knowing how to access that place of emotion. And then this melody came to me, Beirut, um, you know, the piece I later entitled Beirut. Yeah. And I, I remember I was sobbing. It was so cathartic. I kept thinking of the three-year-old uh, who was killed um, and in the explosion who had come, somehow bec- become the symbol of that tragedy. And my niece was three at that, at that, at that time. And, and that, that melody came. And then, with, and then after it came, you know, um, just this sense of rising above that, you know, we all experienced after going into the bottomless pit of grief, then, you know, life always take over, takes over. I really believe that, you know, life always wins. And there was this place of resilience and triumph that came to me too in some of the rhythms. And, and then that became that piece. And I decided to, to, to record it as a tribute to, to this incredible people that, that just kept standing back up, blow after, you know, blow after blow, just kept, living on you know Lebanese people are very famous for their resilience and it's it's almost too much of a of a good thing because it's a lot to expect from anyone to have to come back from that kind of thing and um, we went into the studio and um, it was already very intense because none of us had played for months we hadn't seen each other in months we were very nervous about you know the safety of the whole thing we had masks on there were protocols and and then, you know, we could only do a couple of takes of that piece because it was so intense. We were all so moved and, and you know, I was so touched that all the musicians were all, you know, absolute wizards um, musically and dear friends, you know, they all really met me in that place. I mean, it was incredible emotionally what we were able to capture. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just knew that, you know, for better or for worse, we had captured something that was just meant for that moment.
The track you are hearing just now is Beirut, a response to the tragic events of 2020 at the port of Beirut that we just talked about. It is also one of the tracks from the latest album by Christian Karam, out on the 28th of January. Nar takes its name from the Arabic word for fire. Over the course of 13 tracks, listeners are treated to Karam's take on common themes shared amongst humanity, such as love, grief, belonging, overcoming, and starting anew. It presents original compositions, reimagined traditional material from folk traditions sung in multiple languages, poetry, and features improvisation at its heart. Here is the second part of our conversation with Christian Karam. that I wanted to ask you about uh, in terms of just uh, uh, Lebanon and uh, mm. its uh, direct connection with this album is that I read that uh, Nar is also dedicated to the memory of Bassam Saba. Yes, absolutely. Bassam, dear, dear friend, mentor. I, I studied with him for a long time. He was dear friend, absolute family, collaborator, brilliant artist. And um, a couple of years ago, he was appointed as the director of the National Conservatory of uh of uh, in uh, Beirut and um, he he left New York where he had been established for decades um, and sadly he passed away from complications of COVID last fall and um, it was a devastating loss on, on the heels of you know this 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 tragedy I mean absolutely unfathomable loss for the music world um, I'm convinced that nobody does or will ever play the ne like he does um, and um you know, I think we're still all working on <laughs> processing, uh, processing that. Um, and I learned so much from him, and he was such a nurturing voice for for me. He believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself um, at my beginnings when I first came to the United States. Um, and I felt that it was, uh, you know, the the appropriate thing to do um, to honor his memory uh, with this music. So we mentioned it earlier, we talked about it. There are several influences and music traditions coming together in your music and, of course, in uh, this new album, Nar. And, uh, and on this record, so we talked about kind of some of that uh, Middle Eastern influence, but also there's a marked presence of uh, Balkan influences. Yeah, so it's very fascinating to kind of bring these two worlds together. Uh, it, they, they, they seem to be particularly close to you because we kind of talked about the Lebanese uh background but what about the the, the balkan yeah it's very, <laughs> very interesting i get that question a lot it's it is a very peculiar and, and uh, to me very touching story because um uh, i'm half armenian on my mother's side and my grandparents right. were refugees of the of the genocide right so um there's a lot of um history that's that's heavy that comes with that heritage but also a very particular vein of music um from the caucasus and uh we're very close to the Balkans geographically, um, but I first heard Balkan music per se when I was a teenager. There was a French band that had utilized some of the Mystère des Voix Bulgares. Um, they had invited them as guests in their in their rock song, and uh, I remember, my, you know, physiologically what it felt like when I heard them. I remember something happened in my body. I was completely 
just just mesmerized and just almost transformed. And I this I started looking it up. I I discovered that choral tradition. And um, later on, when I came here, I joined a choir. I started traveling to Bulgaria, learning some of the history and some of the some of the, the language and the different regions, the different folk veins. Um, and I I felt like I had found a new home. And like one of the founders of uh, the Mystery de Bulgar, dear mentor and friend of mine now, Binka Dobreva, I remember she said in an interview that I must have been Bulgarian in a past life because my connection to it, my ability to um, to sing that music as though I was a native was very, uh, very stunning to most, very, very shocking, right? And so when I, when I came back from those travels, uh, you know, it was everywhere in me, the rhythms, the music. I started my own Balkan choir. Uh, I run a Balkan choir called Tetenista Balkan Choir that's uh, very renowned in the United States and in Bulgaria, actually. We're considered, the, you know, they, 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 they compare us to some of their greatest choirs, which is a great honor. But it's just, it just speaks of my commitment to that tradition. And historically, that you know, we, we share the, you know, the Ottoman rule and, you know, some difficult historic experiences that shaped us, that shaped the music that are common to the Middle East as well. Um, so there are a lot of connections there. And um, I grew up with a lot of different languages. I went to a French school, you know, Lebanon was under the French mandate. So French was my primary culture almost bef- before Arabic. And again, because, you know, I grew up in the Arab world and my grandparents had fled from Turkey. They spoke Turkish, but technically Turkey was the enemy of Armenia. There there was so much, um, so much that was entangled in in conflict that that was so, um, you know, it didn't make any sense for a child. It was all so contradictory. And so it became my life's work to untangle some of those pieces and find what was common, what what these people shared, what was common to these traditions. And so to me, this album is a victory uh, in some in some way in that way, because um, all the languages that I speak are illustrated in that record and all the traditions. Um, and we manage, you know, there's a lot of microtonal um, tradition that kind of seamlessly weaved with the Western classical tradition and the jazz tradition, and there's Hungarian folk, and there's some of the French aesthetic, there's the Balkan aesthetic, there's a little bit of Armenian, right? So um, figuring out for me, for where I'm at right now in my art and in my life, you know, creating a piece that was able to include all those fragments in a harmonious way um, yeah. feels very good, Fe- feels very good to my soul. It's almost like everything can coexist in peace. So, I mean, in bringing these t- these traditions together, you mentioned that you wanted to kind of find a common ground uh, between these, uh, these kind of two traditions, two cultures. Uh, does jazz take on uh, an important role? It's almost like that's, that helps find that common ground in your music. Oh, absolutely. And jazz, you know, jazz has its own history, of course, that, that, you know, there are a lot of commonalities with, um, the history and the, the, the journey of jazz musicians too, as, j- as jazz came about, uh, and, uh, in, in becoming what jazz is today. And, you know, I, I had been listening to jazz growing up a little bit. Uh, when I came here, I, I kind of fell in love with it in a very new way. And I actually, I was very excited about bebop and I was very excited about transcribing and about, um, it opened up doorways of improvisation and, you know, I have a very mathematical brain. I'm, I've studied the Carnatic rhythmic tradition. I'm very fascinated with 
um, all that more cognitive aspect of music in terms of you know permutations and what's possible and um, and so there was definitely part of it that grabbed me very much, but I also knew all along that I was never going to be, you know, a straight ahead jazz musician. I, I came from so many other cultures and colors that were competing for my attention. And so it took a very long time to integrate all those things, you know, mm. because jazz also, you know, there's, and there are a lot of purists in every style there, you know, everybody will have a reason why, you know, they think that something does not work. And that's okay, it takes all kinds. But I think part of maturing artistically, too, is paying your dues and, 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 um, you know, learning and studying uh, traditions and performing them and practicing them enough that at some point you can be who you are with it um, and, and fully give yourself permission to have your own voice in bringing those influences together. And, you know, the more traditions you come from, the more pieces there are to the puzzle, the longer that process takes. That's why um, it's, it's, you know, fusion and bringing cultures together can be very tricky because it can be very surface level. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so, you know, it, this is a, I'm proud of this work. And I also think that emotionally it tells the story in different languages of, you know, so many of the, of our shared, of our shared experiences as humans, you know, you know, there are love songs and breakup songs and songs of wanting to belong. There's a song, there's a piece I particularly love, which is a piece I co-wrote with Sergio and Clarice Assad for, um, we did a project called Back to Our Roots uh, many years ago where, where they were interested in, um, because they're from Arabic descent, from Syrian descent, and they were interested in highlighting the connections between Arabic music and Brazilian music. And so we wrote a lot of music together for that project. And the piece that's called Hanin on the album, actually, I wrote the Arabic lyrics to. And it's a so- it's part of a suite that highlights the different steps of what immigration means to a, to a human heart, to a right. person who leaves everything behind, um, has to f- grieve that loss, and then how hope uh, emerges, and then they can begin anew, right? And so that piece is also very moving to me because it tells the story of the immigrant, which I am. Another track, in fact, that, uh, that uh, another piece that I liked from Nar is called mm. Voyage. Oh, uh, yes. Which actually conceptually evokes some of the concepts that we talked about, a travel discovery identity. Because, I mean, I feel, I feel that the word itself has uh, very different uh, meanings from the word of travel. It seems yes. it seems that voyage is something uh, more, more profound in, in a sense. It could be like a lifelong uh, trip or even beyond life. I don't know, exactly. but it's the it, word itself, right? Yeah, it's between travel and, and journey. It's, it, mm. it, it, it encompasses the geographic, but also the you know, everything else, you know, that we can associate with, with journeying from one place to another. Um, and it's interesting, it's one of my favorite pieces too. And, and it's, um, it begins with a, it, it's very harmonic, it has a lot of Western harmonies, right? And it's, you would think it would stay there, but then it transforms over the course of the piece. And then it becomes uh, makam and it becomes uh, more, um, you know, microtonal based, and it yeah. utilizes a more Eastern scale, and then it has rhythms that are more evocative of the East, but along with some jazz harmonies. So, it, you know, it's a piece that more immediately brings together these pieces that we've discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a wonderful piece, and it's a really yeah. wonderful album. Uh, so, Christian, I thank you very much for joining us and of talking course. with us about it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for having us, and I look forward to um, to the broadcast.
I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Christiane Karam. Her new album, Nar, will be released on the 28th of January. And I hope you will join me again next week for a new episode of Jazz is Travel. In the meantime, why not check out more content on jazzis.com? That's our regularly updated website with lots of great content for both the newbies and the jazz aficionados, including news, reviews, playlists, interviews, and more. And of course, you get even more when you subscribe. Till the next time, this is Matt Makuchi signing off. See you soon. <laughs>